Hello, everybody. I'm um, very excited to be here today. Uh, we actually have a pretty interesting week, and I wanted to uh, reflect on some of the things that were going on in the last week in the news and see how it relates to uh, what's happening up there. So, first of all, let's start with uh, the week ahead. Um, we want to make sure that we cover that. Uh, first thing on so today is March 10 and like I said it's a kind of a interesting week we'll talk about it astrologically speaking and also symbolically speaking what's happening but um, a few things are uh, going on right now first of all I think you guys got um, my email about Aquarius and artificial intelligence I think you should have gotten it if it's not it's always on my website under learn if you scroll down, you will be able to see all of the uh, posts that I posted in the last uh, year or so, few years. But anyway, the last one or the one before I can't really remember was about artificial intelligence, Saturn being in Aquarius. And what I've realized from my work with uh, astrology is that there is two interesting things that you can always be sure of in connection to transits with planets. When a planet moves into a new house in your chart, and when it moves into a new sign in general, and when it moves out of your house uh, or out of the sign, the influence is the strongest. And I talked about it, I think, last week as a metaphor could be that when you are, hey, I don't know, you haven't seen your parents for a long time, they're coming to visit you at first, the first day or so, there's a lot of excitement, you haven't seen each other for a long time, you have to catch up even on the way from the airport. You know, there's a, a lot of interaction. Then they stay here for two, three weeks. Of course, you go here, you go there. There's the good days, bad days. You know, uh, then when before they leave, you know, they have to start packing. You have more emotionality because they're, they're saying goodbye. There is going to be some hugging and some crying in the airport, at the train station, whatever. That's the same thing with planets as above, so below. So what we have always, especially when we're talking about the planets that are slower in motion from, let's say, Jupiter, Saturn, but morely, mostly Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. Whenever they are about to enter a sign or whenever they are, um, sorry, whenever they enter the sign and whenever they're leaving a sign, their effect is going to be strongest. And that's why the last few degrees of uh, every sign as the planet is going through it, transiting through it, it's activating it much stronger. So it is really important. You know what it feels like? It also feels like how uh, life is, you know, as above, so below. So think about it. The first three, let's say the first nine months that we are uh, germinating inside um, our mother's womb and we're slowly growing. And then the first three years of our life here, which you can say is the cusp between the dead and the living, right? That's the time where your brain develops the most. That is the time that uh, you have the most amount of influence uh, over everything so that's again very very critical time in a sense so uh, that's a time where we are more sensitive now the same thing happens uh, when a planet is going out of um, a sign and the same thing could be as, as a metaphor when you're dying of course it is much more drama it's much more intense uh, that's why a lot of times uh, the mystics and the philosophers tell us that we are alive to know how to die better so the way we die say goodbye the way we're born say hello is the most 
prominent time. Of course, there is Saturn return and Saturn return two and Saturn return three, if you make it. But really, the most important parts is your birth, hence your chart and your death. So same thing going on with the planet. And why I'm talking about all of this is because we have right now in our, I mean, let's say the last two, three months, the next three months or so, it's a very powerful time because Saturn is changing signs. That's why I talked about it last week. It was in Aquarius and now it's moving into Pisces. You see in the chart, Saturn is zero, zero degrees Pisces. But if you look carefully, you're going to also see, so see Pluto, which is a slower planet. Therefore, it's been going on for the last year and it's going to be still for another year, is also at the cusp. It's about to move away from Capricorn and move into Aquarius. So we see, first of all, that Aquarius is very dominant right now in the collective unconscious. And Aquarius is all about communities, people, groups, organizations, democracy, demonstrations, power to the people, technology, innovation. So when I talked about it last week, I talked it more about the context of uh, AI and the chatbots that are coming out. We'll talk in a second about how it also affects demonstrations around the world. Uh, the same thing with Pluto being at the end of Capricorn. Pluto is right now 29 degrees, 44 minutes in Capricorn. It has, what, 40, 56 more minutes for it to go into uh, Aquarius, which is actually going to happen in about two weeks from now. Uh, two weeks, yeah. The 23rd, so it's actually less. It's 11, it's uh, 10 days or so that we're going to have Pluto moving into Aquarius. So again, Pluto is a very slow planet. It's going to be on and off in Aquarius until 2044. It's been in Capricorn since 2008, which is supposed to kind of like give you a little bit, aha, uh -huh, I know what he's going to talk about today already, right? So the idea is that when a planet moves into a sign, moves out of a sign, in a house, out of a house in your own personal chart, big, big deal because that Pluto, that planet's influence is stronger. And when we talk about Pluto moving to Cap from Capricorn, where it's been since 2008, into Aquarius, and Saturn, who's been in Aquarius since 2020 and now coming into Pisces, you see that that Aquarius energy is kind of saying hello to Pluto and goodbye to uh, Saturn. So Aquarius is going to be very dominant. That's why we talked last week about artificial intelligence. And this talk this week, we'll talk a little bit more about demonstration. But the idea is that the effects of the planets, Pluto and Saturn, which are considered to be not the easiest, you know, Saturn is the Lord of Karma, hereditary curses, uh, ancestral karma, countries, karma, races, karma, humanities, karma, you know, your personal karma. And Pluto is the Lord of death and resurrection, which definitely, uh, you know, like Thomas Jefferson said, there's two things that are certain for everybody, A, that you're going to be taxed and B, that you're going to die. And indeed, taxes and death are both ruled by Scorpio, which is ruled by Pluto. So yes, we are going now through a pivotal period. And uh, that's why there's so much things happening per second around us. Uh, don't take it personally. It's nothing to do with you or your chart. It has to do with humanity and where it is standing right now in the grand scheme of things. So Today, March 10th, no, March 10th was a Friday. I checked it because of something that happened in Friday. Most of you in California or around the world know. But anyway, March 12th, Sunday, uh, today, the moon is in Scorpio. It's been like that since uh, the weekend. It's not the easiest time because Scorpio is all about death and transformation. However, today, the moon and the sun are sending beautiful energy to each other. So use it while you can. It's a trine between the mother and the father. 
that flows really well. Also, we're getting into a very mystical period. The next two weeks are going to be very mystical, psychic, very much about medium shape, channeling, everything that has to do with sensitivity to energies. The reason why is because Saturn moved into Pisces just now. I mean, what, five days ago. So it's been a week. It's hardly a week that Saturn is sailing in Pisces. Last time it happened, 93, 94, 95. I sent an email about it. You can uh, check it out. And the idea is that Saturn is grounding. That's what Saturn does, crystallizing, uh, basically bringing together, forcing us to look deep into everything that has to do with Pisces. Pisces is all about mysticism, intuition, gut feelings, imagination, everything that has to do with the ability to see beyond. It's also helping you tap into memories from past lifetimes, skills from past lifetimes. And the whole thing about Saturn in Pisces, because it's the last sign, it's about closing cycles, closing circles, closing deals, closing aspects in your life that you're not going to bring in 2026 into your into your existence because Saturn is then going to move into Aries and Aries have no patience for old stuff. So not only Saturn is in Pisces, which deals with everything that Pisces rules, but because Pisces is the last sign, what we have now is three years of cleaning the slate, cleaning the cages, cleaning uh, like um, uh, the stables, like Hercules had to do with one of his 12 missions. So 12 missions, of course, we are now with a 12 sign Pisces, and we are now getting rid of things. So it's kind of uh, emptying your recycling bin in a sense. So Saturn in Pisces just started the next three years. Now, when Saturn is in Pisces and whenever planet again moves into a sign, especially Saturn, which is the Lord Karma, pay attention in the next four, five, six months, whatever issues are surfacing could be the issues that you have to deal with in the next three years. And also things that you need to deal with in order to cleanse uh, yourself or in order to make sure that you're not bringing into 2026, when Saturn moves into Aries, all of these old baggage. So basically, right now, you're going down to your basement, clearing the everything there, even the boogeyman, and under the carpet, whatever you stash things, whatever you kind of like, whatever closet you have where you clean everything before somebody comes unexpectedly, that's the places that we are going to be focused on. Feng Shui-wise, this is really taking care of your spring cleaning. Don't forget that Pisces is the sign that leads to the first day of spring. So that's what's happening to us today. Uh, we are also having Jupiter on top of Vesta. As you can see, Jupiter is 14 degrees. Aries, Chiron, the wounded healer, uh, 14 degrees. Aries and Vesta, which is uh, the goddess of the hearth, the goddess of the uh, fire, the, play, the, the pilot, in a sense, is also 14 degrees Aries. So if I look at 14 degrees Aries, because it's so dominant right now, the Sabian symbol is an Indian weaving a blanket. It's actually kind of nice. It's something that relates to uh, the ability to cover yourself, to heal yourself, to fix yourself, to calm yourself, to um, feel nice and cozy and warm and tucked in. But the idea is that Chiron in Jupiter, in Aries on top of Jupiter is ultimately teaching you how to be of a fighter, a warrior, a leader, an initiator. So there's something of a call to action, almost like a burning bush that is happening to us uh, today. So again, pay attention. There's two ways to work with astrology. Be very receptive and passive and just say, give it to me, whatever is happening up there, I'm going to experience. 
Um, and the other one is knowing that there is a certain aspect, being more active about it and say, you know what, I'm not going to wait for the universe to do it for me. I know that the weather is the right one now, astrologically speaking, to act or to do certain things. I will do it and then see what happens. Or you can do, of course, uh, both be receptive while you are active about using these aspects. So because Jupiter, Vesta and Chiron, they're all together in Aries, it means that you have to think about your identity, your body, your path in this lifetime, who you are, what you're here for, leadership, initiation, a call to action, burning bush, getting instructions from above where you should go. And I'm not talking about schizophrenic uh, uh, situations when you are told, um, I don't know, to kill someone, but I'm saying much more about what you need to actively be doing in order to achieve your goals. And especially because there is um, this energy of making things happen right now with Aries. So again, very strong energy that leads us up into July. And don't forget, in July, we're going to have a year and a half when the North Node is moving into Aries. So definitely, there is a lot of activity this year with Aries, Jupiter being in Aries until middle of May and middle of July the North Node moving into Aries for a year and a half. And it doesn't matter if you're Aries or not, if your lover is in Aries or if your kid is in Aries, you are dealing with a lot of Aries planets, which means that you need to speak that language in order to translate the archetype. And that uh, language is the language of, yes, I can, I am, uh, that I am uh, pushing things forward, making things happen. So what we have this Sunday is a lot of Mars activity with the moon being in Scorpio ruled by Mars and so many planets in Aries, which is ruled by Mars. But because Aries is now influenced by Jupiter and Jupiter is related to Sagittarius, we're talking about fighting, leading through education, through um, traveling, through the prism of Sagittarius, because don't forget that Chiron is a centaur, the symbol of uh, Sagittarius. Jupiter is the ruler of Sagittarius. So we're having a lot of influence of um, Sagittarius right now, along with Aries. So it's fire mixed with fire. Again, action and movement. But because we also have a lot of Piscean influence, Saturn in Pisces, Mercury in Pisces, Sun in Pisces, Neptune in Pisces, that basically means that we are mixing water and fire together, which of course is always very difficult. That's why the alchemists say that if you put fire and water together, you can create gold, which is not that easy. It does talk about combining the masculine and the feminine, the ultimate marriage between the yin and yang. That's happening today. Tomorrow on uh, Monday the 13th is... Um, the moon is moving into Sagittarius. So if we talked about the influence of Sagittarius, it's getting even stronger on Monday and Tuesday, um, which will also cover Pi Day, which we'll talk about today as well, which does make sense that Sagittarius will be ruling it because Sagittarius is higher education and truth and philosophy. And there is something very truthful about uh, mathematics and especially about Pi. So what we have tomorrow is an educational day, a day for um, everything that has to do with travel, movement, connection to foreigners, uh, learn something new tomorrow and on Tuesday. Teach something to somebody. That would be very good for your moon in um, Sagittarius. The moon is actually sending a beautiful energy to the black moon, which is always good. And the moon is going to send beautiful energy to Jupiter, Vesta, and Chiron conjunction, as well as to Venus. That's going to be more on Tuesday. So Monday is a very beautiful link between the moon and Jupiter. It's usually very positive for families, very positive for um Everything that has to do just with feeling a little bit better, a little bit more grounded. 
Uh, the biggest thing also that's happening to us this week on Tuesday, which is funny enough, uh, Pi Day, and Wednesday is the conjunction between the Sun and Neptune and Mercury in Pisces. This is a powerful conjunction that I think can really help us, help us tap into our intuition, help us tap into dreams and dream work. So pay attention on to your dreams on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. A lot of information is downloaded. It's also a pretty powerful day for dancing, movement, meditation, yoga, anything to do with expanding your horizon. Because Neptune on top of the sun, on top of Mercury, a conjunction like that in Pisces is going to only happen 2024 and 2025. 2025, after March, Neptune is going to move into Aries. It's going to be there for years on end. I mean, Neptune is being in Pisces, his own sign in 2012, and this is the first Neptune return that we have been having since it was uh, basically discovered because it's once in 165 years. So we have this privilege this year and next year and the year after to have this sun on top of Neptune once in 165 years. We've been having it since 2012. It's going to be done in 2025. So it's only 12 so years where Neptune stays in his own sign in Pisces. And therefore, whenever the sun transits in Pisces, we get a light up energy of mysticism and intuition and imagination and poetry and everything that Pisces represents. So again, this week, the peak of it, Saturn is moving for the first time in 30 years into Pisces. So even though 2012 Neptune was in Pisces, we never had Saturn with Pisces as well. That's why the conjunction of Saturn and Pisces is going to be very significant 2024-25. But on that, you'll have to wait a, a few seasons. The idea is that Neptune on top of the sun, on top of Mercury, and Neptune is really powerful, really positive. It's kind of good for anything to do with photography, cinematography, like I said, imagination, channeling information. So if you have any queries or issues or difficulties with the universe, this is the time this week that you can actually come to some conclusion or some kind of uh, insight that might come from above. So again, this week, very, very powerful connection to intuition. The only dark side of it is addictions, dependency, codependency, lack of boundaries, illusions, deceptions. These kind of things are very strong right now as well. So you have to also be extra careful. And of course, I mean, if you live in California, Tuesday, Wednesday is when we're supposed to have another one of these atmospheric rivers coming down. And of course, it is related to Neptune, especially because a lot of the communities that suffer the most are those by the sea. So on Tuesday is Pi Day. And it's a very important day. It's a symbolic day. It's a day that I think, you know how you have President Day and you have... Uh, Pride Month, and you have uh, um, Mother Days, Father Days. I don't know. You have days for everything, but we had to have a day for math. Math is basically the universal language. It's the only language that I could talk to somebody from India, somebody from Peru, somebody from uh, Europe, or somebody from China. Even if we don't speak the same language, if we look at math, we'll come to the same conclusion. We don't even have to talk. We can just... Uh, uh, sit there together, study math and talk math without having to use words. And I'm kind of sure that if we ever met an alien and explained to an alien that this symbol is one and this symbol is two and three and four and five, they'll be able to communicate with us just as well. So there is something universal, all accepting about a Pi Day. And I think that that's the message behind Pi Day. We'll talk about it more. But on this particular Pi Day, look what's happening. We have Neptune and the Sun conjunct, which is kind of interesting because Pi Day always fall on Pisces. I don't think it's arranged like that, but I just love the fact that we always celebrate math 
in the day in the during the time of Pisces. You would think that Mass should be celebrated during Aquarius, or maybe during Gemini, or maybe during Libra, or some other sign that has to do more with logic. But no, we're celebrating it on Pisces, which is all about imagination. And I think that that's one of the most important things that you need to be a good mathematician is not only to be very logical and to be a yes, no, open, close kind of person, but much more imaginative to be able to see beyond or be able to use math for philosophy. Because if you think about it, there's a reason why the origin of um, the math we have today, or a lot of it, is from ancient Greek. And a lot of them were mathematicians that were actually philosophers, Pythagoras being the first one who even coined the word philosophy. And of course, he is a mathematician. So the connection between mysticism, imagination, the ability to see beyond, and math is very, very strong. So Pi Day, very good day. The moon is Sagittarius, which is all about information. It's all about knowledge. It's all about wisdom, the truth, the whole truth. And there's nothing more truthful about math in a sense. It's basically yes or no kind of situation. And moon in Sagittarius can really support that, especially with educational Jupiter being on top of Vesta. Look at that, 15 degrees, 15 degrees, Jupiter on top of Vesta on Pi Day. And it's funny because I did, um, we'll talk about it after, actually, when we talk about uh, Pi. But anyway, that day, the moon is Sagittarius, very good for traveling, very good for connection to foreigners, people of education, uh, anything to do with knowledge, learning, teaching, mass media, publishing, very, very strong energy there. Venus is still in Aries. We have to wait for her a few more days towards the end of the year, at the end of the week. Sorry, she's going to move into Taurus, which is much more happy to be in. Aries, she's in exile. So relationship might be a little bit off. Money can be a little bit off. Um, in general, Venus in Aries can cause a lot of trouble in relationship because people are being too blunt and too straightforward and too warrior-like. So that wasn't the easiest time for her. Yes, it was good for her when she was in conjunct Jupiter, but now Vesta is conjunct with her. So Venus is totally jealous. She's ready to go on uh, to Taurus. March 15 is uh, Wednesday, and we have the absolute conjunction of Neptune and the Sun once a year. This is beautiful. Remember, we only have it next March and the March after and kaput. That's it. No more conjunction of uh, Neptune in the sun in Pisces. They're going to continue conjunct, but in Aries, which is a completely different conjunction. It could actually be, a, you know, a religious war, but that's 2026, 27, 28, 29. Let's worry about that when it comes. And also Mercury in a day or two is going to be conjuncting Neptune, conjuncting the sun. Now, the idea about Neptune on top of the sun and Mercury lurking there, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, not the best time to make logical decisions or decisions that have to be cold cut by, you know, logic. It's a great time for intuition. It's a great time for dreaming. It's a great time to initiate projects, especially creative projects. But be careful of making very valuable decisions or signing documents that are uh, very important because Mercury is not retrograde, but look at what we're having now. Mercury is in a falling because it's in Pisces. Venus is in exile because she's in Aries. We have too many planets there that are not super happy about where they are. The moon is in Capricorn, which is in um, a exile. We have a lot of planets Wednesday, 
Thursday, Friday that are out of their comfort zone, which means as above, so below, you're out of your comfort zone. You're forced to sign something. I don't really want to sign it, but I have to sign it, or I feel pressure to sign it, or peer pressure, whatever it is. So be a little bit more mindful Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Get the information you need from above. Don't necessarily start producing it on the below. Okay, you can get the idea, you can make the diagrams, the flow charts, but not necessarily to actually put the seed in the ground that you can do more next week. Uh, so again, be extra careful with these, um, uh, all of these planets that are in exile. What we have, sorry, in um, uh, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday, we're going to have the moon in Capricorn and moon in Capricorn basically talks about the idea of a home and family not being the easiest or the fun, uh, not the most fun time. Uh, so again, it's also not the best time for real estate. It's not the best time for a uh, home and family situations. So just to be a little bit more careful about that. And especially because on Wednesday and Thursday, the moon can be squaring Jupiter. It's smothering. It's trying too much. It's not, not connecting so much, especially with home families, mother, mother figures, so uh, 16th of um, uh, March, Thursday, we have the moon conjunct Pluto, not the easiest emotionally, especially because we also have Neptune, Mercury, the sun conjunct. So Thursday is the peak of that. So again, there is a beautiful trine actually happening between the moon and Mercury, the moon and Neptune, the moon and the sun, Pluto and Neptune, Pluto and Mercury, Pluto and the sun. So that's great. But there is a lot of um, squares going on there as well. So I would say to be a little bit more mindful. It's kind of like a double-edged sword um, Thursday and Friday. Yes, you can get things done because the moon is on top of Pluto in Capricorn. It's very pragmatic. It's sending actually um, some flowing uh, energy towards Uranus, which is in Taurus. Venus also is changing signs on uh, Thursday. She's moving into Taurus and she's going to get closer and closer to the North Node, which is going to be very good for us for relationship, for partnership, for art and for finance coming up next week, not this week so much. But this week, like I told you, it's a combination. You have some kind of uh, a strong energy with channeling and mysticism and intuition, but not yet to ground it so much because of these illusions. But the minute Venus moves into Taurus on Thursday, late Thursday, it becomes much more clear and it can heal things and can bring things into fruition. And if we look at March 17, which is a Friday, Things are, again, shifting, and they're going to shift even more over the weekend when Venus, when Mercury finally moves into Aries, which is going to be much easier for him than Pisces. But still, first Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you can see the complete conjunction of Mars, the Sun, and Mercury, 27 degrees Pisces. So, again, it's very kind of – it's good, get good information coming to you, but, again – from past lifetimes, from uh, memories, from echoes, from um, meditation, from dreams. The moon changing into Aquarius on Friday, Saturday, Sunday is going to be more about people, community. It's going to see a lot of rebe rebellion, a lot of demonstration this weekend coming up. Uh, it could be pretty intense because the moon is going to be squaring Venus. So um, that, again, creates some kind of clashes and misunderstanding around partnerships and relationships. Just be a little bit more mindful of that. But the fact that the sun is on top of Mercury, great for new ideas, great for new ideas about new businesses even, but not to manifest them as yet. March 18 is a Saturday. We're going to have the last day of Mercury in Pisces. The moon is still in Aquarius. Venus is getting closer and closer to connecting to the North Node, which is always something very, very positive. 
Um, and on Sunday, March 19, the moon is moving into Pisces. We have a clustering energy there in Pisces. We're going to have Saturn in Pisces, moon in Pisces, Neptune in Pisces, the sun in Pisces. And you can see that Monday next year, uh, next week, sorry, is going to be the equinox. And on that, we're going to definitely talk quite a lot. It's going to be a, a very important day. Uh, not this Monday, not tomorrow, but the Monday after. Uh, we'll talk about it because that's when we move into the new astrological sign. And the moon being on top of Saturn in Sunday could be pretty intense, especially with family members, because uh, it talks about ancestral karma. You might feel having to confront the ramification or the actual connection to your epigenetics, genetics, uh, heritable curses, things that run down the generations that you want to cut away from. And you see how it works on the last day of the sun being in Pisces, which is the last part of the year astrologically, we need to get rid of ancestral karma so that when we start Aries, which is on the 21st of um, the 20th, sorry, of April, uh, sorry, March, we don't have to deal with any of the leftover from the last year. That's the tendency of Aries is to allow Pisces to get rid of the last cycle so they can actually start a new page without anything smirched on it or smeared on it from the past. So let's look at um, uh, what's going on in the world, uh, at least according to or through the prism of astrology. Uh, a few things I wanted to talk about. So first of all, um, yeah, if you um, are in LA, I added actually another class. You don't have it here about... Um, um, what is it about? Yeah, it's about the Bible and stories from the Bible, uh, but it's going to be only in person in Los Angeles, in the same place we had this really nice class on Kabbalah. It's in Pasadena. But um, right now on March 21st, next week, sorry, on Tuesday, March 21st, uh, we're going to do the class on the power of your name, especially for the spring, because it is the, the astrological new year. It is uh, the best time to talk about your name and your destiny and how your name unfolds your destiny, your weaknesses, your your uh, um, talents, because Aries is I am, and that's going to be the first day of Aries. And of course, when I ask you, who are you? You say, I am. And then you represent, basically, you say the aspect of God that you're channeling in this life through your name. Then we're going to have on March 31st, the um, a special webinar on the Tree of Life. And we're limiting it to 26 participants. So if you want to join us, do it as soon as possible. I think we're getting towards the uh, max. And a hybrid in-person class, it's going to be May 19. We still have time. It's on the, on the new moon in Taurus. And it's going to be about numbers. So first of all, you know, I, I don't know if you're here in the United States, uh, maybe you're not, but it's also affecting the rest of the world. Again, that's very much what I wanted to talk about when a planet moves in of a sign or moves out of a sign. We talked about how Saturn uh, moving out of Aquarius uh, in the last few months, and it was trying to get everything it can to teach us the lesson or fix Saturn is rectification, Tikkun in Kabbalah, to fix everything about the archetype of Aquarius, which is artificial intelligence, technology, innovation. Okay, we managed to talk about that. What about Pluto, though? Pluto is being in Capricorn, the sign that has to do with structures, with institutions, with traditional a way of managing things. He was there since 2008 until uh, right now. I mean, literally another 10 days, and then it's moving into uh, uh, Aquarius. Okay, Aquarius is all about revolution, technology, innovation. So we're not quite done with that archetype. But it's interesting that right when Pluto moved into 
at Capricorn, we had the Lehman Brothers, which was supposed to be the biggest bank ever, collapse and needed some kind of um, um, help from the government, right? So you remember 2008, what led us to the Great Recession. That's when Pluto moved into Capricorn, when it was in the first degree on the cusp of Capricorn. Now we're about to move. Pluto is about to move away from Capricorn Bank, the second largest uh, U.S. bank to ever to go under the Silicon Valley Bank on Friday, on March 10th, actually became the biggest bank to fail since the collapse of Washington Mutual in 2008. Uh, so again, you see that from the New York Times, it's pure astrology. Yes, it is the second one because the first one got messed up and, and, and killed basically when Pluto, the Lord of Death, moved into Capricorn. Great. Now when Pluto is about to move away from Capricorn, he's shooting the second no, the second one. Okay. And it, we're talking about 10,000 startups that are in danger. And this is not talking about some kind of, um, I don't know, crazy rich people and who cares about their money. You're talking about startups that actually each one of them employ quite a lot of people, quite a lot of families. And beyond that, that is the future. That is uh, the apps and the technology and the AI that we need in order to evolve, in order to develop. So again, it's kind of eerie how it just happened all of a sudden. In a few days, it happened right at the last two weeks or 10 days of Pluto being in Capricorn before it moves into Aquarius. And if you look at the FTX that happened a few months ago that I also told you is related to that Saturn in Aquarius and the fact that uh, Pluto is in Capricorn. Remember when FTX fell? Uh, it was in November around the eclipses that were involved and eclipses were in Scorpio, which is ruled by Pluto, which is now we're talking about moving from Capricorn to Aquarius. And we talked about how these uh, things of FTX, you know, the uh, um, what we talked about is the dark ages or the ice age of the cryptocurrency. We thought that was the end of it. No, here is the biggest bank that lends to startups, uh, also dealing with technology innovation, which is precisely what Aquarius rules, going through the same issue. Um, and of course, uh, remember this dude uh, when he was ruling the free world and in um, 2018, he actually removed the regulations that would have prevented the Silicon Valley bank crash. So 2018, remember Donald Trump actually removed the Dodd-Frank regulation that would have prevented the bank from from collapsing. What happened in 2018? If you remember, Uranus, the ruler of Aquarius, moved for the first time in 84 years into Taurus, which is the sign of finance. So Uranus is the joker, the fool. So we had a fool remove the regulation that could have prevented the collapse of the bank. That's how Uranus in Taurus work. I should remember to put it in my 2024 book because it's always nice to hear Uranus moving into Taurus, Uranus revolution and awakening, craziness happening in relation to finance. Okay, that's very theoretical, but it's always good to have uh, some concrete examples of what's happening. Another thing that happened, I was reading about it in the news um, um, recently, Iran, Saudi um, um, Saudi Arabia and Iran, which are very much uh, competing over who's going to be the boss uh, in the Middle East. A Shiite, of course, Iran, Sunni being the most important Muslim state, you can say, a country, or at least the one that feels like it's defending Mecca and defending the faith, defending the, uh, the birth, birthplace of uh, Muhammad the prophet. So since 2016, their, their relationship completely deteriorated because the Saudis killed a, a Shiite, very Shiite, famous Shiite cleric. So seven years after, 
they are uh, coming together and they're going to actually open their embassies in a few months and so forth. And this was brokered by China. Now, it's kind of interesting because beyond the politics behind it, I wanted to show you how seven year each also works with countries, any kind of uh, connection. Now, how is that working? The seven year each is coming from Saturn. Saturn cycle is about 28 to 30 years, right? We said around 29, 29 and a half. You divide that 28, 29 to four, you get because there's four corners, right? Because um, in every circle, we have the four points that are the cycle of a planet. Like the new moon, that is the sun and the moon together. The crescent, which is the first square. The opposition, which is the, the full moon, which is the second square. The last crescent was the third square. And then back again to uh, the new moon. So any kind of planetary cycle has is divided into four. When you take Saturn, the Lord Karma, divided into four, we get around seven years. And of course, in the Bible, we see it with uh, Jacob working seven years for Leah, seven years for Rachel, then seven years in general. Uh, everything is divided into seven processes. So it's not only you and your partner that after every seven years, you're getting some kind of an itch. It's also happening with countries because Saturn is exalted, meaning that it's getting the strongest energy when it is in Libra. And Libra is the sign of relationship, hence the seven-year itch that's notorious and infamous in relationship. But Libra is also diplomacy. And that's why even relationship between countries, which is basically what Libra is all about, relationship between groups of people, that's diplomacy, it also happens. So you see 2016 plus 7, 2023. It works like that all the time. What struck me as really strange, to be honest, is that you have this Iran that's, that's supposed to be the, the leader of the Shiite Muslims and Saudi Arabia was supposed to be the leader of the Muslims, Sunnis, that are broker their peace is brokered by china who literally uh, is uh, putting in concentration camp one million muslims you know so it's kind of interesting how we talked here so much about cognitive dissonance that all of us have to some degree and how countries in general have a collective uh, dissonance cognitive dissonance is like saying oh china yeah really good you can uh, definitely help us deal with our enemies while you are basically butchering our people or trying to convert them or trying to re-educate them or put them that's totally fine as long as you're doing what we're needing to be done so again it's kind of interesting now if you look at the process of it 2016 is when the relationship deteriorated right that's when the seven year each started and 2019 which is about halfway through is when the peak of it was so you can already know that if you um have a certain kind of a fallout with somebody. It might last for seven years, right? The seven bad years, the seven good years. And the middle of those seven years is when the peak of the conflict is. So that's just goes to show that sometimes from politics, you can actually learn a little bit about astrology. Another thing that interesting that I've noticed this year, uh, this week when I was reading some of the news is Gaza is going through nodal return. So 2005, and this is all really interesting how it all comes together, at least astrologically speaking. 2005, if you remember, Ariel Sharon was the prime minister of Israel, and he unilaterally exited from Gaza after 38 years of occupation, and basically dismantling 21 settlements that were there. Now, the Supreme Court in Israel at that time allowed the, disagreement, the disengagement. So the disengagement was allowed by the Supreme Court. So the Supreme Court in Israel said, yes, you can disengage from Gaza. 
and move out of there. Now, it's really interesting that if you look at what was going on then, 2005 we're talking about, Rothman, which is the head of the overall committee for the judicial uh, overall, and Levine, who is the justice minister right now, both of them are leading this crazy, uh, basically, attempt of making Israel not a democracy anymore. We're against the exit of Gaza. And they probably really galvanized their understanding of the Supreme Court as being a terrible force uh, back then. So right when they were in a very pivotal age in their evolution, in their career, that's when it happened. One of them actually went literally against it by demonstrating against it. The other one tried to stop it. But the idea is that both of these guys are now trying to basically dismantle the Supreme Court. And again, you see different cycles coming together. Now, 2005 is a nodal return that is going to start happening in July. Remember I told you that in July, we're going to have the North Node moving away from Taurus, where it is right now, and it's been since December of 2021. And in July of 2023 until January 2025, we're going to have um, the North Node in Aries. North Node in Aries, again, uh, the dragon is sailing through Aries. So in 2005, that's where the dragon was, in Aries, where it's going to be from July this year for a year and a half. Anytime there is a nodal return, there is a period of karma, of destiny, less free will, more fate. So Gaza is going to go through its nodal return. It happens every 19 years, approximately, of the disengagement of Israel after occupying it for 38 years. Now, if you think 38 years, builds it's 19 plus 19 right am i wrong no 19 plus 19 yeah so what happened is that when israel took over uh, gaza 1967 it had 19 years after that a nodal return we're gonna have to see what goes goes went up there another nodal return israel pulled out of their unilaterally without unilaterally without getting any agreement just as we got, we're out of here and 20 and 19 years later is going to happen this July. We're going to have to see what's going on there. But I can warn you that Palestine, the West Bank uh, occupied territories, are also going now through a Saturn return because Oslo Agreement was uh, 9, 2000, 1994, 1995. So it's going through a Saturn return as well. So the West Bank is going through a Saturn return. The um, Gaza is going through a nodal return, very pivotal times that have to do with karma, hence Saturn and the North Node. This is the chart of Israel, and what is interesting is you can see the North Node of Israel is in Taurus, which is happening right now. The Sun is in Taurus, and Uranus, the planet of revolution, is in Taurus as well. The only thing is that Uranus is moving for the first time basically in 84 years so Israel was never basically alive that long, uh, into the house of death and transformation. And that could be part of the reason why there is so many demonstrations out there right now. The peak of it is going to be much more next year. Next year is going to be pivotal. Uranus is going to move into the house of death and transformation of Israel, and it's going to move on top of its sun, meaning complete transition and change with everything that is going on um, with the leader, you can say, the of, of, of how the government runs. But the fact that Uranus is moving into the house of death and transformation is a not very uh, happy, not very helpful. Saturn is moving away from the house of home and family in Aries, which is actually of, of Israel, which is good, but it's going to move into the house of love, happiness, and creativity in children. So you're going to see a lot of issues with children, um, unfortunately. 
But uh, Pluto in Aquarius, think about it. We're having Pluto in Aquarius in two weeks and Saturn was in Aquarius in the last three years. And I'm just thinking about the revolution, uh, the, the demonstrations that's going on right now in the world because demonstrations have to do with Aquarius. Remember last time Pluto was in Aquarius, the French Revolution was taking place. So France, everything, uh, all the demonstrations are back about the retirement because Macron wants to raise their retirement, retirement from 62 to 64. Israel having the biggest uh, demonstration in their history. It was, I think, this Saturday, a quarter of a million. Now, when you think about it, a quarter of a million might not sound a lot to you, but if you consider there, there's, what, 9, 10 million people in Israel, there is uh, two of million or three millions that are maybe not into all of these demonstrations. So you're talking about a great deal of proportion. It was all over Israel. Even in the West Bank, there was some demonstration. So again, uh, even now, the government or the right wing in Israel uh, say that the protest is funded by Iran and Germany. Would you believe that? That's what they say in Israel. In the meantime, in Iran, they still have demonstrations against hijabs, and some of them are not necessarily in the streets. It's basically women refusing to wear it in universities, in, in conferences. And of course, the government there is saying that Israel and the U.S. are funding those demonstrations. It's kind of interesting how everybody is funding everybody else's demonstrations. Georgia, and you saw what happened with um, against Russification, the law of foreign agents that they tried to pass there, that Putin did in 2012, which started the transition of Russia into uh, a, the unfortunate place it is right now. Of course, what's happening with Ukraine against Russia, because the whole country of Ukraine is basically uh, against Russia. Mexico, the electoral reform. Peru, the political reforms. Those are the things that I can just snatch um, uh, just before we met. I put it out there, the list. But it's really interesting how the people are moving. And remember, I told you in the book of uh, 2013, I called it the exodus, not the exodus, the movement of the people traversing the bridge. So it's kind of starting to happen. And of course, now to the good news, uh, to finish in a, some nice uh, note instead of all the craziness that's happening out there in the world. So pie day. And I specifically wore my pie. Can you see? I don't know if you can see my pie. My pie my pie pants pie pants pie pants yes my pie pants so my pie pants um i wore for the pie day and this 314 of course we call it 314 because the decimal after three uh, when you try to get the 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 value of pi you end up uh, having infinite decimal uh, numbers after after the decimal point. So basically, we have even some computers program that were able to calculate the value of pi to 62.8 trillion digits after the point. Um, I think that there is some uh, some kids that have the the ability to remember 250 numbers after the decimal and the thing about it it's not that easy to remember because there is no patterns it doesn't repeat itself it's just complete randomness it's one of the most beautiful things in nature i think it shows how chaos and order work together because pi is, is pi it's very orderly and yet it's such a chaotic number because it just goes on and on and on and on and on and on even though it's considered to be an irrational number uh, which means basically that it's a real number that cannot be expressed by a simple fraction. Uh, so what I'm saying is that, let's say, three, uh, three, uh, I don't know how you say it in English. Wow, I never studied math in English. So, you know, when you go three and then you have the little line and then four, fraction four or four, fraction um, three, you get a number that ends and it has a number, even if it's 1.5, 1.75, 1.7667, 
whatever. But because it just never ends, it goes on and on and on and on because it cannot be described by a, a rational number. So the idea is that uh, there is something very special about pi. Now, not only because it's a number in math, you can see here on the screen how they got to the calculation that it's three point something um, by putting the circle and rolling it around and around and around. And also uh, pi was already known for the ancient Egyptian 4,000 years ago. Um, so it was, to, no, sorry, yeah, to the ancient Egyptian, to the ancient Babylonian, they were the first one. The Babylonians were the first one to actually figure it out. And it's trying to basically understand the circle, the circumference of the circle, and dividing it by the diameter diameter of the circle. And so it can tell you the size of the circle, the area. It can also tell you how big it is. So it has something to do with circles. And then I thought about how circles are so important in spirituality. First of all, the planet is kind of circular. I mean, it's more like an ellipse, but still. The orbits are kind of circle, even though they're ellipse, but still. Uh, the secret of the circle and, the, and its source of the circle is infinity. That's what I love about uh, the idea that, yes, a circle is a closed thing, right? We use circles all the time. Chakras, spheres in the, in the tree of life. Um, the whirling der dervishes, the orbits of the planets, right? The orbits of the galaxies. Basically, it's all around the axis mundi, that place where that does not move, that place, the original place, maybe the mathematical point of the Big Bang, in a sense. And when you try to understand the circle, even though it's enclosed, right? And even though it's finite, that's its source is infinite. And that's the beautiful paradox. You know, alchemists always talk about how the men and how the one became many, how that one infinite that have no boundaries became us, which we are bound by space and time. So I think that there is something about Pi that is revealing a secret, uh, like something that communicates the truth about the connection between infinity, Pi, and the circle, which is finite. So the reason why it's irrational, again, because pi is what mathematicians call infinite decimal. After the decimal point, the digits go on and on and on and on and on and on. It doesn't ever enter a permanently repeating pattern. So it's basically numbers, 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 and God knows why. Um, so what did I say here? Um, yeah. Now, the interesting thing is that it always falls, obviously, during Pisces. And I told you, it's kind of interesting that it's called Pi Day and it's happening in Pisces. But the thing is that when you look at it, it always happens on the 24th degree of Pisces because that's what the 14th of March will be. And this one is even stronger, I told you, because of the Sun conjunction with Neptune. That's going to happen only next year and the year after. And the um, uh, history of it is that it was first discovered by the Babylonian 1900 BCE to 1680 BCE. Later on, 1650 BCE, we already find it in ancient Egypt. The British mathematician William Jones was the first one to actually use the pi symbol in 1706 and call it pi. So he was very, very intuitive to do that. And pi can be used. Yeah, we talked about that. Now, in Kabbalah, that's where it's getting a little bit more interesting for me because Kabbalah, I mean, pi. When the minute you think about pi and the shape of pi that I showed you with my pants, uh, pi actually is a Greek letter, but it doesn't mean anything in Greek because the Greek borrowed the phonetical alphabet from the Phoenicians. 
And for the Phoenicians and Hebrew, it does mean something because Phoenician is Semitic language, like Hebrew, like Arabic, like Aramaic, which is the language of Jesus spoke. So the idea is that in uh, Phoenician and in Hebrew, which both of them are proto-Kanaanite uh, letters, basically there were letters that were discovered in Sinai around 3,500 years ago, and they were the origin of the alphabet that we use in English, in Latin, in uh, uh, Hebrew, in Arabic. I mean, it's it's really the beginning of the alphabet. What we call alphabet is coming from Aleph Bet, which is from the Phoenician alphabet. So if you look at the Phoenician or the ancient Hebrew one or the Proto-Sinaic uh, uh, alphabet, you see that Pi actually derives its name and its shape from Pei. And that's why, the and the of course, the letter P that you have for Pisces is also coming from that same letter, from what later on became Pi. So in Hebrew, um, Pei actually means something because the Phoenician and the Hebrew letters were shaped after what it actually represented because they started off as some kind of glyphs and later on they became phonetical uh, alphabet. So in Hebrew, the letters actually show what they mean. It's a beautiful uh, way of looking at language. So pay is supposed to look like a mouth. Pay in Hebrew is pay is a mouth. Speak. So what comes out of the mouth? Words. And that's why abracadabra became such a big deal. Abracadabra is Aramaic. Again, same, uh, same body of languages, same family of languages as Hebrew and Arabic. And abracadabra actually means I shall create that which I say, the power of the word. So you already see magic, which is infinite. It's something out of nothing coming from the word condensed or uh, confined by a letter, by letters, by spelling of a word. You see how those all things are starting to connect. The value of pay, because every letter in Gematria, the, that's the Kabbalistic uh, numerology, has a value, and the value of pay is 80. And it's kind of interesting, 80 is, of course, 8 plus 0, and 8 is the symbol of infinity, and it's also the only uh, digit you don't have to lift your finger to draw. So yeah, 8 is finite, it's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and yet it's infinity as well. So again, it's interesting how math and Kabbalah come together. Now, for you guys, if you want something interesting, uh, Bala Shem Tov, I think there's a hair from my cat. Uh, Bala Shem Tov, uh, who really reignited Kabbalah in the 17th century, uh, he was the, orig the origin of Hasidic. I mean, I, of course, he would be a repelled, uh, repelled, re disgusted, let's say, by what's happening with uh, uh, well, his followers these days, but that's a different story. But Balashemtov had this technique of saying, listen, you want to know how your next year is going to be. Always read the book of Psalm that relates to your age. So, for example, when you're two years old, you should read chapter three because there's no chapter zero, right? Uh, when you're 80 years old, you should read chapter 81. And if you look at chapter 81 in Psalm, you see, I am the Lord thy God who brought you out of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide and I will feel it. Again, that's the pay you have, and even the word for mouth, picha, or your mouth, starts with P. That's the letter I'm seeing here, okay? So it's kind of interesting, the power of the word, the power of word, and also the idea in Ezekiel 1, when this guy coming from above who tells uh, Ezekiel, son of man, uh, I have come to deliver a message for you, he stuffed Ezekiel's mouth with um, a scroll, and it tasted to Ezekiel like honey. So the idea is that that's where we get information in and out, words. And this is the letter pay. 
So it came from the uh, Phoenician, uh, Phoenician letter, Pe, which you can see here. It looks like an open mouth uh, from the Egyptian hieroglyph for the mouth. This is the Egyptian hieroglyph for a hieroglyph for a mouth. You can see I get it a little bit bigger. And that's how it evolved into a Pe, which is a mouth in profile. You can see the teeth above, the teeth below. And this is the um, final pay whenever it's appearing in the end of the word. And you can see its connection um, very closely. So I hope you have an amazing pie day. And maybe you should bake a pie. And maybe you can think about what is the weirdest pie I ever had and do like uh, pie competitions uh, on pie day. But definitely think about it as a day where infinity and finite is coming together. And by the way, this is also related to pi it's uh, a wave so thanks a lot for um uh, being with us today and let me know also if you can if you like this background better than all the tons of the books behind because i think that some people said that the books are intense and they're listening to the books more than they're listening to me so not that i want to compete with books i hope that i can assimilate them eventually but um, uh, yeah, let me know if this works for you. Uh, for some of you in Instagram, you can actually see the view. Uh, for some of you guys here in Zoom, you can't see the view, unfortunately. But I think that some brightness is what we need right now, considering the situation. So thanks a lot. Uh, I hope um, if you are um, in a place where there is demonstrations that you are demonstrating, it's always good to exercise your Aquarius rights. Thanks a lot and have an amazing week.